Greetings, Earthlings. Hello, hello. All right, I just have to say this real quick. You know, Yo. I'm a big fan of swag. We talk about this all the time. Yep. Uh, former guest, uh, Cassidy Lewis of Cooper Hurley Injury Lawyers. I emailed her and I was mm. like, hey, this pen, this pen that I love, that I she got from you like five years ago, okay? I said, it, it's 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 getting close to the end. She says, I got you. Sends yeah. me literally this ridiculous box, okay? I kid you not. Yeah. I get this. I'm like, wow, what is going to be in here? Hmm. Let me. I barely looked at it, but like the unboxing. There are. I mean, I can't even. Like, well, you use. That's not all. Pens. No, it's not all. Pen, well, a handful you, of these pens. I know you like to handwrite your um, your thank you cards and. Oh yeah. That, that's notes, a lot of thank you cards. You got your notes, working out for you. I don't know what this is. A little calendar. It could be like mm. my grandma. I mean, they hooked me up. You know what? I will probably give some of this away, which is probably what their point was. But this is how you swag. I mean, that's right. This is honestly like it's I don't even know what to call this thing, but this is the best pen I've ever had in my life. I love it. Maybe not the best pen. Second best pen. Maybe the best pen. But to get this, I mean, I don't know how much money that cost them to send. It's heavy, too. First, I thought they were sending me like coal. <laughs> I was like, damn. But look. This is how I do it. Obviously, the instant right. team sent us some good swag. Others yep. have sent us swag. Someone actually yesterday said they're sending me a shirt. Mm. Excited about that. Um, just don't like go big on swag because like it's such a yeah. it's such a it's such a good opportunity. And the things that people will do for a shirt, it's crazy, right? Man, people go shirts. nuts over shirts. I know. I literally have an entire. I I probably should have done this. Uh, already and producer James would have been super excited about this but I literally have a like one of those big ass containers of just old startup shirts uh -huh. like probably 70 or 80 of them start Norfolk shirts vinyl mint shirts uh, uh less comp shirts uh I probably have a a start today's, today's guest may have pitched at most of those I know I don't have a <laughs> Steve Waddell shirt I don't have a valuepreneur shirt I don't have a Nasoni shirt Look, I'm not calling him out saying I will send say, it away. But the last time we had Steve on the show, it was from a, from the Nasoni point of view. Different yes. different show today, but um, I stayed at a uh, we'll we'll just call it it will be at a friend's house, and sure enough, because uh, this was for something in the water. Uh, it, it, we were supposed to camp. It was a terrible uh, forecast. Oh, yeah, yeah. We had, there was a spare bedroom. We stayed at his house go into the bathroom and sure enough, there's an Estoni faucet there. And I was like, well, hot dog, man. How about that? And uh, man, my hats off to you, Steve. It was a, uh, it was a sweet, sweet faucet. First time I, I saw one of those in action. It was good stuff. You know, I haven't had a chance to post it yet, but I got an email from a company in Seattle, Washington that builds Nord Stream yachts. And they, mm. there was the owner of a new yacht being built, saw our faucets, requested two of them. And it's over a $10 million, 97 foot yacht that they're installed in. And they sent me photos. It's amazing. I mean, nothing. I mean, why wouldn't a Sony be in there? I mean, let's just be honest, you know, might as well. Yeah. Might as well it's, have it. uh, yeah. I mean, it's just, I, I get, you know, you have your faucets. It's kind of like uh like paper, right? The, the weight of the paper just feels steady and, and nice, you know, like same deal with the Sony faucet. I mean, that's a, it's a, 
high quality stuff there. It's good. I like it. Steve. Game game changing, right. as they say. There you go. It's an anomaly. Well, I didn't say it, but you did. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome. See, we know Steve. you from many. Yeah, welcome yeah. back. We know you from many different hats. Thanks, um, Tom. We we're talking backstage just about like presenting in in general. You you being on stage, one of the best presenters I've I've ever seen. Just just really. Um, just has a good stage presence. And I think a lot of people should watch some of your presentations uh, uh, when you're on stage. I don't know if you practice a ton. I don't know if it's just, you know, a God-given talent, whatever it is, but you're good at it. And and I, I think there's something to be said that some of that success that you've seen in business is because you can get up there, you can you can talk your way uh, into, into uh, whatever that reality is that you want, which today we're talking about a book. <laughs> Well, I'm honored for you to say that, Zach. I really appreciate it. That's uh, and coming from you, I mean, somebody that almost got the job on Thunderdome with Steve Harvey got. That's pretty flattering. <laughs> sure. Have you always Did, been um, extroverted, Steve? Yeah. Uh, I don't know about all that. You know, like like many people, when I was younger, uh, it was a little nerve wracking to get on stage. You know, because you're not sure of yourself. Uh, but with time and practice, it, and in general, I just like to have fun. And yeah. that's what, if you watch Fox Sports. Um, that's what's great about their announcers at their noon show is they like to have fun and that's what the audience wants. So if you can figure that out, I think you can solve speaking and, and having people enjoy it. Do you watch your uh, broadcast back? Do you, you like watch a replay of what you've done? Oh, of course. Yeah. Everybody does. Right. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I think very, very it. few. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a, like, not now. Well, maybe a little bit now, but like I used to, like when I really first started in the business, whether I was in TV or not, like I would watch it religiously, just be like, mm. try to pick up little tells. Um, and then you watch, you're just like, okay, like you're trying to progressively get better. And I think that like people should do that in general. If they could record their conversations, like their sales calls or conversations with teammates and things like that. I think that could be a good way for you to just go back and be like, oh, I thought I was saying this, but actually it sounded like this. That that kind of strategy in life, I think, can can be good. Time consuming, sure, but you can you can learn a lot of your own tells, and you can learn. Oh, I was probably talking too much, clearly. But well, one of the a, best recommendations I ever got is I helped found the International Council on System Engineering here locally in Hampton Roads, as well as the Hampton Roads PMI chapter. And I used to put on big seminars and symposia, and I'd invite speakers from all over the country. And there was two guys that stood out really good. Dr. Robert and Charette was one of them. And the other one was Dr. Orr, Dr. Joel Orr. And one day I asked Dr. Orr, I said, how did you become such a good speaker? You're regularly rated the highest. And he said, I said, was it the, the National Speakers Association or was it Toastmasters? And what he said was, the NSA will teach you the business of speaking, but Toastmasters will teach you how to be a better speaker. So I joined Peninsula Toastmasters. And one of the big things I learned from that was don't use the word um. How many people... <laughs> Use that as a filler as they speak to fill the gaps. And you don't really realize you're doing that. And so and putting on this summit, for example, I have a number of great speakers that are just killing it. And there's one of them in particular I had to go through and cut out all the ums. When you play it back in Final Cut Pro, every pause is visible in, in the audio. And you can just go in and cut it out. But that's a big thing and that, that people need to learn. And so I highly recommend Toastmasters. I got a certified competent Toastmaster uh, level in Toast, and it was fun. You know, you have fun. There are so many filler words. Um, <laughs> you know, 
Um, and look at Zach. Well, um, <laughs> I know really, saying, and I'm like, ugh. Yeah, I have a new one. I can't. Even, I can't remember what it is. But like when I watch this back, I'm like, there it is. Well, uh, well, you know what I mean. Uh, there, there's so many, and, and it changes with time. It's a, there's a new wave of whatever that new filler phrase might be. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, are you? I've never known you to be a writer. I've never known you to be a book guy. Not to say that you don't read and and you're not, you know, educational and things like that, but. I never knew that a book was a thing that was, you know, on the horizon. What made you, what made you want to do it? So that's a great question. Um, you know, 80, they say 80 to 90% of people all want to write a book, but none of 3% do. Right. And 20 years ago when I was the risk manager for the CVN 77 or for the shipyard for the aircraft carrier construction program, I was responsible for developing the risk process and so on. And I wanted to write a book on risk management. And I got a deal with J. Ross Publishing to do that. However, they told me that they would not do it in color. And um, I said, you know, I have to. If we're going to do risk, I use color coding, red, yellow, green, color charts, things like that to convey certain messages. And if we're going to do this, it has to be in color. And they said, well, business books aren't in color. So I canceled the contract. And then when I joined my wife's company, Read Integration, and we did project management training all over. I needed a good fundamentals of project management book. I didn't like any of the ones I was using and I was going to write that, but I just never did. And then I started Nasoni, and in this journey of product development, there were so many lessons learned, so many neat things do, that I was doing and learning from. And everybody kept telling me you need to write a book. So it's been a goal of mine to write a book. I just never have. And I just turned 60 in October. So it's a bucket list item that I'm going to accomplish um, in my 60th year. <laughs> I don't know how many shows that we've had where I've been the only person that has not write a book. We've had many, many authors on this show. I'm trying to think, Zach. I mean, there's been several. We had one last week. Well, with self-publishing now, it's it's yeah. easier now for people to do that. But it's still got to, you got to make it good quality. Yeah, I mean, you still got to write it, right? I actually, like... I think writing is the easy part. If you have like an outline, if you have a general understanding of what you want to write about, the actual writing is fairly easy in my opinion. Everything after that, the countless edits, the, like trying to read the damn thing over and over again and actually reading it instead of thinking what you're saying, because like as ridiculous as it sounds, you read it and I'm sure you've done that. Like you're reading it and you're like, okay, yep, it's all good. And then you just because you think it says one thing, it really doesn't. It's just so it, it, it gets hard. It's very difficult to read the thing over and over again. So, well, what I say, learned, I don't know how you do it. What I learned in the process is there's many different editors that you can get involved. And I didn't have any realization of that until I started the process. And, you know, my developmental editor, Jason Pettis, uh, was fantastic at helping me remove stuff that really belonged in a memoir. Because what I started doing, is writing a book on how to go from idea to product selling uh, with a, a roadmap, right? And in doing so, I, I created this roadmap, but I also added in kind of like case study stuff out of what I've learned from Nasoni. But as he edited the book and gave me recommendations, a lot of it, he said, really should be in a memoir. Pull that out. And so having a great developmental editor is, is necessary 
just to get the structure right. Um, and then there's, of course, different editors that will help with different things, like a line edit when you're at the end, you know. Why did you work with your, How did it work with your book, Steve? Did you did you come up with an outline first? Did you uh, like because you, you cover a lot of different topics? So that's a great question. So about four years ago, almost five years ago now, I was invited to speak to students down in Raleigh at a school, uh, middle school by the principal. And a friend of mine that lives down there, his kids go there. He's on the PTA and he talked to the principal about me. And they all, you know, kids today watch Shark Tank. They, they love Shark Tank. And what she wanted to do was have somebody come in and speak what it's really like, though, behind the scenes of Shark Tank to develop a product. So let me pull this over. I actually created this, this map here, this roadmap of how to go from idea to selling all the way around the wheel. So I've had this step-by-step this -step process for about four or five years now. And, and that's, you know, the framework for the book. That's the outline of the bulk of it. Gosh, you know, at the time, you probably didn't even realize that you had uh, an outline until you committed, right? I'm yeah, I, I continue to improve it over time. Sure. Was it hard getting information from the development editor, the developmental editor to be like, eh, you know, because some people would say case studies are important. In this case, he said, no, was there pushback? Like, how did you come to the agreement with him or her at like to to be OK with that information going out? Because obviously there is going to be stuff that you that you remove. But, you know, case studies in a case in, in a book about, you know, business. As Don't get me wrong. There are case work. studies in the book. There are case okay. studies in the book, and there are people that I interview, for example, like Dennis Clayton. Dennis invented Stow and Spin, and Stow and Spin is like a Lazy Susan spice rack. It's double level. It's D-shaped, so the, the, D, the flat D part sits toward the front, so when you close the cabinet door, it closes smoothly, and you put all your spices on it, um, and it sits on ball bearings and spins, and I mean, it works great. I bought two of them, but Dennis lives in, in Georgia now in Tennessee, but he actually... Um, uh, the case study I show on that is how he brought his idea to market, how he uh, started selling it himself. And then over time, he decided to license a version of it, which was made in China, had a little different functionality. And we explain uh, the licensing contract that he had in place, the royalties he got and things like that. So people kind of understand you don't have to just go to market selling the product yourself, but you can actually do both. You can license it and sell it at the same time. So there's some great case studies in there. Hmm. Got it. But to answer your question, though, the developmental letter just gave me great feedback about certain things that read more like a memoir. So that was what was pulled out, not necessarily the case studies. I just I think about all the stuff that I that I have. I don't I guess I don't think about it if I already forgot about it, but I look back at some old stuff and I dust it off. I'm like, wow, that's that, that was pretty some stuff is really, really good. And I'm like, I need to bring that back out. Other stuff, I'm like, what in the world was I thinking? Um, like content yeah, you wise that you've created? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, so I think that from a book standpoint, yeah, it would be interesting to, to, to dive back into some of the stuff that you've, uh, that you've done before. But I'm, I have forgotten more than I probably remember. Uh, well, does that <laughs> well, make sense? No. I don't think we really kind of introduced the book, if you will. So, so I'll just I'll show you a copy here. This is one of my proof copies from Amazon. You can see it says not for resale here. And, um, you know, the book is in black and white for the paperback, but it's in full color for the uh, for the hardcover. 
Um, the forward for the book was written by Chris Hively. You might remember MapQuest. Uh, Chris is the co-founder of MapQuest, which he sold for $1.2 billion. And he wrote, I'm honored that he wrote the forward for the book. And, you know, the interesting thing about the book is, um, again, it contains the process of how to go from idea to selling. But there are a couple other things that are really important that are in the book as well. I don't know if you realize it, but according to Clayton Christensen, Harvard professor, 95%, a staggering 95% of new products fail. And what, what that's based on, from my understanding, is a U.S. patent study where the patent office reached out to X number of patent holders and they sent out a questionnaire. How many of your, how much of your patent was actually commercialized? And from that study, that's where the, uh, the number 95% comes from. And actually I've told it's even a little bit higher it's 97%. So there's a problem here where products are failing to get to market on a, on a huge number. Now we've had things like the business model canvas for years now, and we've had the Steve blank customer development model for years now as well. And we still have that failure rate. So what I've done is I've created the process that I just showed you on that board and I've integrated into it, the Steve blank customer development model, as well as um, the business model canvas. So for example, when you come up with your idea and you're figuring out who your customer profile is, your avatar, if you will, you'll start putting that in your canvas. And then what's that value proposition you're offering? Put that in the canvas. And, and along the way, as you do this, we're filling it out so that by the time you're ready to go to sell, you have your business model canvas done. And that's one of the things that's different about it. Yeah, one of the things that's so uh, challenging for me when the founders that I'm working with is the fear of going out to sell. And they, they kick the can down the road, they just wait and, and it's tough, I get it, but the the, the quicker you get to a no, the, the quicker you can move to a new prospect. Well, even before selling, though, you got to not have that fear to go out and talk to customers about what they want. And that's critical to make sure not only are you developing the right product, but you're doing it at the right price point. So I'll give you an example. John Nottingham runs the best innovation center I've ever seen in the country. It's in Cleveland. I was just there a week ago and toured the facility. They have a rotunda. It's an old church converted into an innovation hub. The rotunda inside it is bigger than the one in Washington, the Washington Capitol, the DC Capitol. And, and John has a 95% commercialization success rate. 95% of his patents are the exact opposite. They've commercialized those. But do you guys remember the spinning lollipop? You can, it's on like a stick and you can push a button and yes. it spins. They invented that. Huh. And what they did, John told me what they did is, you know, they interviewed 100 kids. Would you like this? And 100% of them said yes. So then they went to the moms and they said, would you, who's, because who's going to pay for it, right? The mom, the customer. And they said, would you pay 10 bucks for it? And they said, no. Would you pay five bucks for it? Would you say no? Would you pay $4 for it? No. Would you pay $1 for it? The answer was yes. Something like that, right? And man, no, I think it was $4. So $4. So that meant they had to make it for $1 because the distribution channel, right? You double it to wholesale and double wholesale to retail. And that's how you got to a $4 price point. But they had to get to the customers to learn that. And that's extremely important. He'll be walking people through that at the summit, by the way, which is coming up February 21st to 23rd, uh, Idea to Product Summit. John is one of the 23 speakers we have speaking at the event. Is it weird that, hey, I want to start a business, but I don't want to sell? And to think that that is like 
okay. It's just like, no, it's not what, weird. It, it's, it's not. not weird. I mean, you got to play it, to your strengths, right? Not everybody has. You too, but you know, you got to sell it at some point. Like this thing can't make money, can't get in front right. of people if you're not going to as, sell as it. As the some founder sort of and way. CEO, you're always going to be the number one salesperson. No, I True. think everyone is a salesperson, though. Right. And no matter what category of their of their life, we're always true, true, true. But as far as selling in terms of selling the product, what yeah. we do in the valuepreneurs process, once you have done your customer validation, you develop your proof of concept to a certain degree, then you're at a decision point. We say, look, if you have the skills to go forward and make an MVP and go through all the way through to selling and, and patenting and everything else you're going to do, then you can go forward. But if you don't, then maybe you need to license it. And, and so we walk you through what's it like to license a product? What are the steps and what do you got to look out for in a licensing agreement? You know, what, what are the gotchas in a licensing agreement? How do you monitor your licensee to ensure they're performing correctly? Well, you still got to be in sales in that position when you're not selling you're right? always because you're negotiating. Right. And so like, I just, I just like when these conversations come up, it's just silly to me. It's like, Hey, I want to start a business. I want this to be very successful, but I don't want to sell. It's right. just like, where do it's you just, think that's okay? Like it's such a red flag when someone's to me when someone's like, oh, I'm just going to hire a salesperson. It's just it's just it's not going to cut it. And one of the things about you, Steve, yeah, I appreciate. Kudos to you. You're always selling. I mean, like you're always you, you never stop. But and, and but he sold us four times this morning already. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But and you're right. You know, part of it too is storytelling. You know, is an art, and being yeah. good at it can help you sell. And so at the summit, we have two different people coming to talk about storytelling. Susan Lindner runs Innovation Storytellers. She's got a LinkedIn page you can find. And she's going to talk about how do you use storytelling to your team and to your part, business partners and so on. Sean Saunders is going to come in and talk about how you can use storytelling to raise investment funds. Because that's also a story. And you got to be good at it to win those investment funds. Or even let's say startup competitions, right? It's all about getting on stage and telling that story why you should be picked and your product. Well, and one of the things that I tell everyone is as humans, we are visual learners. And by telling that story, you have to put that person in the position of using your product or your service. And if once and once they envision that, then then now now you're getting somewhere. But number if you just bore someone with numbers, they're just they're going to glaze over. They're not going to pay attention. They're not going to remember. So that the, the storytelling is, is super important and that you take that perfect use case scenario and that's what you build your story around. True. And, true. Articulation, if that's a word, to articulate. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but that, I mean, if someone doesn't understand it, like you got to go back to the drawing board and make it till they understand it. And yeah. that could that could take many, many times. And that's okay, but you got to figure, right. you just got to keep doing it. You know, um, our keynote is Jason Pfeiffer, and he's going to talk about Opportunity Set B. Is that the Entrepreneur and, Magazine? Yeah, the editor of Entrepreneur. He's our keynote speaker for the summit. Um, he'll be going live right after we go live with the introduction of the summit. But, you know, I was talking to Jason Pfeiffer back earlier this year, probably in uh, April. I was interviewing him for a different reason. And I told him about my book and my book at that time was called Legends Execute. And the whole idea about it was execution is what counts, right? Ideas are a dime a dozen. And as I explained that to Jason, Jason says, you know, everybody knows executions where it at. it's at. I think you need a different title. And, and he reaches over to a, a bookshelf and he pulls a book off and it says um, 
The Third Door. It's the title of the book. And he goes, do you know this book? And I said, no. He goes, well, the author has built a whole business around this metaphor of a third door. And he said, let me explain it to you. Put yourself in this position. You're in line to get in a bar and there's, it's a long line. There's, and there's a bouncer there and he may or may not let you in. Well, the only other way to get in is the VIP entrance. And if you're not a VIP, you're not getting in there either. But if you're in the know, there's a third door. So he goes, I think you need to think about something like that, right? So now, now I'm racking my brain. What can I use for my book that would kind of be a metaphor that would be really cool and different? And, and it was very painful because I'm trying to, I'm going to chat GPT. I'm typing in, hey, what's a great idea? What's a, and nothing is coming together. And uh, I'm finally on vacation at the Outer Banks with my wife and another couple. And we were watching a movie and all, I'm still thinking about my book title because that was all I can think about. And as I thought about it, I was reminding myself what's different about my process. So I'll bring it up again. This is it, right? And what you can see is that at the idea stage, it's all risk. Why is that? Well, remember, ideas are a dime a dozen because you've done nothing to add any value. So as you see the process here, every step you take should reduce risk and add value to your product. So that ultimately, when you're at what's called product market fit, when you're selling in your sleep, because you're on your, let's say your product's on Amazon and people are buying it while you're sleeping, that's product market fit. You found it. And so then it's all value, right? So then I, I read, read another book on marketing recently that had put two words together and make a new word. So I thought, okay, maybe I can take value and add it to entrepreneur some way. And that's how I came up with the title of the book, Valuepreneurs. <laughs> Whoop, there it is. Yeah. So let's back up just a little bit because we've talked a little bit about the book. We've talked about the summit that's coming up. What is the that's that's break that up. What is the what what's the purpose of the summit? So, OK, so that's a great question. I hired a company called selfpublishing.com. Chandler Bolt runs the company. He's grown it to over 50 million dollar business now. You know, he dropped out of Clemson because he said I was learning from professors that had never run a business on how to run a business. <laughs> He's got a great TED talk, by the way, if you search for Chandler Bolt TED talk, it's fantastic. Um, but anyway, I hired their help and, and I got to back up to you asked me about the summit. So yeah, the, the issue there was in their coaching process, they say you need to get on a hundred different podcasts to raise awareness of your book as you launch it. And I thought, you know, I, I really don't know a hundred different podcasters and I, I don't necessarily want to go beg to be on a hundred of them. Is there a different approach I can take? And I, I came to the realization, you know, I want to host a virtual summit. And so, because I had led conferences 20 years ago, in-person events in Hampton Roads that had anywhere from 200 to 600 people attend. They were massive, but they were localized. Virtual summits can be so much bigger because uh, the, the concept is you run them for free. And of course you can offer some paid upgrades <clears throat> and all the speakers come in and speak. And they get affiliate revenue because you give them an affiliate link and you share whatever upgrades are bought. But the summit is fantastic. We've got, like I said, three day event, 23 speakers. The event's entirely free. You'll have 24 hour access to all the presentations. Uh, and then if you want to keep them longer, you can do the all access pass or, and Zach, you reminded me of this uh, when you showed your box this morning, this just came in last night. This is the VIP upgrade box. Now it doesn't have everything in it yet, but when you buy the box, you'll get a copy of the book Valuepreneurs there along with 
the ABA guide to patents book and other things. So this is uh, our virtual summit box, and, and man, it is killing. Look at that. you got you got Paul Noldy on there. You, I see oh, yeah. uh, I see Chris Hively. I see you. Do you know Dr. Ahmad Glover? He runs Wiggle, and uh, Wiggle is wireless charging, and he's raised twelve million dollars through Start mm. Engine and platforms like that, virtual crowdfunding. Now, uh, Dr. Glover, we just did his panel discussion. He has an amazing product that is like a water bottle. And you pour salt water in it and it has a USB on the outside. It creates power from salt water and it runs for up to 12 hours. And mm -hmm. he talks about, he'll be talking about that at the summit. So those are some of the speakers. Then when you look on the back of the book, let's see, I turn it uh, this way. It has my book, of course, and then a, a link to the uh, book website. And so all the speakers, you know, are all the way around and, uh, and they're incentivized, of course, then to promote this, this box, man. It's just, it's the coolest thing ever. <laughs> I'm a big fan of. Well, I like that you pushed back the company. Like, I, you know, maybe 100 podcasts. This is the thing. What else can I do? I'm a big fan. I've done this over a thousand times. Is bring people to me, right? Host an event, right? Why? Because you are the attraction, and people are going to constantly look at you, and that is a way to raise awareness. And in that, you get to you get to let the world know in your case. Hey, this is who I am. This is what I do. Thank you for being here. Let's put on a hell of a party. And, you know, the rest is history, if you will. But you're, it's you're exactly right, Zach, because you know what else in the word um, authority is the word author. So when you come out with this event and you're associated yeah. with all these speakers, you become the authority. Mm -hmm. And as your mm -hmm. book is there, you know, you're the author that goes with the whole thing. Is each presenter, yeah. uh, do they focus on one section? of the chart oh, that you showed us? That's a fantastic question. So I've, I've set it up over a three day period where the first day covers kind of idea and concept development. Mm -hmm. Day two is more uh, prototype and MVP. And then day three is launch and market introduction and investment. So, I mean, it's, it's set up in that whole cycle. It's, it's just a, it's a fantastic event. I can't tell you how amazing the speakers are. Um, yeah. It's really impressive. Uh, I, I was, lucky enough to get a little preview uh, at a meeting that we had a couple weeks ago. And uh, it is really a, a fantastic group of speakers. Uh, kudos to yeah. you for making that happen. Thank you. And, and the other side to this, um, and Zach, to your, to your point, is when you do something like this, then if I want to go get on some podcasts, I can then say I am the authority figure or in this space, or at least for, for my book. And, and here's why. And you can show the summit. And then it's a lot easier to get on those podcasts. So I can still well, do those later. And the, and the cool thing is, is that what is the cost of the summit to attend? Free. Absolutely free. <laughs> there you go. And if you want to choose to upgrade and get that sweet swag box, if you will, then you can. But uh, that, that, that's a super awesome uh, group of speakers that you have. Tons of value, all for free. Tons of value. You said the magic word, valuepreneurs, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's the goal. But that's seriously, that's the goal. I try to create a win-win, right? The speakers are coming in, you know, giving their time for free to, to share their knowledge, but they're going to get an affiliate link. So through the VIP passes, they'll get some of the revenue out of that. Uh, we're not trying to make money out of this, right? The rest of the revenue comes in. It's just going to go to marketing. So marketing to make the big event as big as we can. Daniel O'Connor is an expert on life, on monetizing your IP, intellectual property. Daniel's out of Australia. And he has an email list of 200,000 people. He's going to share that, uh, you know, the event with his distribution list. 
you know, and Tim, you've got a, a pretty significant list for Hampton Roads and Richmond, 30,000 plus. Um, all the speakers have those kind of lists and they're all going to be sharing the announcement about the event, except for Jason. I'm not going to ask Jason Pfeiffer out of uh, Trevador to do it. <laughs> oh, he's going to put that that one page uh, spread in, in upcoming issue and you're yeah. after the races, right? That's right. You know, have you seen this uh, this uh, month's episode or issue of Coastal Virginia Magazine? Yeah, I saw you. Were, uh, I, I did see that you were there. And we right did get a one page spread there. You did right next to Jolie Spears from the Small Business Development Center with her uh, Pitch Perfect article. No, that was great. Yeah, I did see that. That was a beautiful issue of the Co Virginia, too, because they redid it after COVID and just made it completely um, just gorgeous. The whole issue looks great, looks fantastic. Beth Hester is the editor for that, and she did a great job with it. And then uh, with that, you're taking all so that then that promotes the book. And yeah, then yeah, that'll be it'll be interesting to see how all that works out. It's it's uh, it's an interesting play, but I agree. I would think that trying to track down a hundred different podcasts, I'm not even. I mean, I suppose you just have to go to the search function. But I only no. The way, well, the way I did it, the way I did it is I went to Fiverr. And I found somebody that does this, that searches out podcasts for, for your genre. And I paid mm. them and they found over a hundred and they got the contact information and all of that. And I'm, I'm like, man, do I really want to do this? That's so a I, lot of talking. Uh, well, it's a lot of time dedicated to trying right. to beg them to be on it as well. And so, you know, the whole approach to me was like, if I'm going to spend that much time, let's do a summit, you know, and then afterwards it'll be easier for a podcast. Speaking of time, you are involved in not just valuepreneurs, you know, the book you're, you're associated, you know, and started in Asani, you got the summit, your wife has a business, uh, some, some grants that have been in there that you're, you're telling us about, like, how do you put your day together so that it, you know, you feel successful with it so that you feel like you're getting the job done. Like what, what does the day in the life of Steve Waddell look like? <laughs> You know, I, I like to be at work by six. I'm a morning person. And one of the things Becky and I did was we re-engineered our lives because we were living in Smithfield for a while and working in Harborview area of Suffolk. And our commute was just getting longer every day. We both drove separately because I'm at work before she is. And the traffic on Route 17 was getting worse. And so we decided we would move closer to our office. And so now we live two miles from our office. So my commute is nothing. It's virtually nothing. And we got back an hour, you know, when you look at each way, which adds up to at least five hours a week. Um, and that has helped a lot to to manage the day. And that's an extra month and a half of uh, work when you total it for the year. It, it, you know, it makes a big difference. And I say we, we engineered that solution. And um, the other thing is, you know, when you love what you do, it's no longer work. So, you know, like last night I'm at home, I'm doing things, you know, I'm, you know, when you watch TV these days, if you're like me, you don't just sit and watch TV. You're on your iPad and you're doing other things simultaneously. You're checking emails, you're managing things and doing things. I just love what I do. And I feel like, you know, I got thrown in the briar patch, right? <laughs> uh, the grant stuff is great. You know, we we're I won the grant for $2 million in September with Old Dominion University. And we're uh, working down that path now. I got Spark Product Development out of Richmond, who's building our uh prototype body for us this time. And uh, at the same time, I'm also about hopefully about to win a grant next month with the National Institute of Aging 
with Eastern Virginia Medical School with Dr. Hamid Okrabi, the head gerontologist there, to develop a smart sensor faucet for Alzheimer's and dementia patients with the National Institute of Aging. And again, that's 2.58 million if we can land that. So that's going to position us really well to come out with a solution uh, that's never been done before that we're patenting, obviously, uh, and, and benefit Nasoni, the growth of Nasoni. It's a lot of cheddar. But, you know, all that stuff, it's all COVID really impacted Nasoni negatively because at the launch of our company, COVID hit. Who can who can plan for a hundred year pandemic? Right. And of course, the China tariffs hit. Everything hit at the worst time. So we ended up consuming a lot of our marketing capital as operating capital. Right. And at some point you got to pivot. And that's what's in the book, too. It's all we talk about pivoting and the grants. My wife said, you ought to think about a grant. And I thought, what am I going to do with a grant and a faucet? But one day, Dr. Nancy Gurdon introduced me to Dr. Lisa Caparna. Lisa is the clinical director of Old Dominion University. And Lisa said, man, if we had a sensor version of this, we could really help our spinal cord injured patients. And that's the idea light bulb went off. And uh, and that's when I applied for the grant. But this mm -hmm. kind of thing is all about in the book, right? How, how you do these pivots, you know, and, and look, be on the lookout for those. You know, they say luck. Um, there's a definition for luck, but I like to say it's where preparation meets opportunity, what Roman philosopher Seneca said, right? Because when it came time to, the idea came up with Lisa, I was ready to submit a grant. I was ready to go figure that out because the idea was already there and, and I'd worked toward it, you know. The other trick to that was I had written many government proposals, but I'd never written one for a grant. Hmm. And so do your homework. You know, I went and found a grant expert and helped me write this proposal. But I turned that $10,000 PPP loan. Remember, we got I got 20K out of the PPP process. I took that $10,000. I hired this expert to help me write that first grant. We turned that into $259,000. Then after we did successful through that, I hired him again for 15K, which we just turned into over $2 million. So that 10K is already converted to over $2 million, $2.5 million in grant funding. And if I win this NIA grant, it's going to be over five million. All that happened because I took that first ten k and took a gamble. When a grant and a faucet emerge, ladies and gentlemen, the Steve Waddell and the Jam Band yeah. coming up next. Well, the, the thing that stands out with me with this whole thing was, I'm prior military. You worked on aircraft carriers. Is like just the little stepping stones, like learning how to chart. The military and the DOD, boy, they love their charts. Yeah, everything's a chart and a checklist. Yeah, so yeah, little things like that that we're prepping you for today. That twenty years ago, you or however long it's been, you have, you have no idea that this was going to set you up for this. And it's funny, uh, I went down to your office and you gave me a, a tour of Nasoni uh, over the summer, a few months back, and 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 I had and you gave me this. PMP project management professional card. Yeah. And I'm a, I'm a, I'm a PMP certified guy that, you know, and I was like, man, this is pretty helpful. I, it gave me some flashbacks to be honest with you in terms of in preparation for taking that exam. And I, well, you I know, for, that card, for that card, I actually have sold over for Becky's company. When I worked for her, they were selling $10,000 a month of them on Amazon. We found product market fit for those. Oh, yeah. Well, the thing about it is, so I brought that card back home and I had it on my desk. Next thing you know, I, I'm in my wife's de uh, office and she's got that card on her desk because you know, so she saw the value of it. So, you know, she, she's looking at it. So it's just 
all those things that you did to pre prepare yourself for today. And, and the other thing that stands out is just, oh, you it just seems like you're always thinking and you're staying curious and, and you're like, man, what else? And what else? And yeah. Well, to that, to that point, Tim, I'm glad you brought that up because the selfpublishing.com company said, you need a lead magnet for your book. And I'm thinking, okay, what am I going to do for a lead magnet? Well, guess what I did? <laughs> a card for it, right? So there's this handy card and it's a free download at valuepreneurs.com. And, um, you know, if you look at it closely, you can actually see some of the graphics from the book. And this is, you know, investment. Like when you're at the idea stage over, over, let's see, over here, uh, what, what investment is available? Well, really only bootstrapping. But as you go through the process, other investment models come online. So, this is, a, again, a free download on valuepreneurs.com, but you can also buy a printed copy for $7.95. It'll also be in the uh, the VIP yeah. upgrade package. Boom. <laughs> yeah. That's I, always always selling. <laughs> I'm just, that's, I, that's what I said. I mean, Steve's uh, always selling. And the crazy thing is, is you know, how responsive you are to uh, – Anytime I send you an email, you ping something back within seconds. And I'm like, man. Well, by the way, your Innovate Hampton Roads emails are great. I love reading them. You do a good job with that. And uh, they're actually an asset to Hampton Roads. I love seeing you do that. Well, I, and I appreciate the ideas that uh, and suggestions that you uh, reply back to, to me with as well. So, yeah, you, you stay pretty busy, Steve. Well, I hope uh, we can put the link to the... Um, summit in in the new in the newsletter you know that you put out and so on and, and it's in this podcast yeah we'll definitely have it in the, sh uh, the the links in the show notes uh for this and and i appreciate you doing uh, putting the spotlight back onto hampton roads uh and, and you wanting to give back i mean that that is a really really important piece that i want to make sure that as this region continues to try to gel together Hopefully we're, it's not even hopefully, we are going to be building really successful companies and they can't forget that, hey, we all work together to get that started. So give back. And uh, I appreciate you and your willingness to give back as well. So thank you for that. Yeah, that that's what the book is all about, Valuepreneurs. That's my give back to the entrepreneurial community in essence. You know, it's not like I'm trying to make big money off it. You, the book has got a ton of value in it and it's going to be $19.99 for the paperback. Uh, the hardcover will be more expensive. It'll be in color. And so it's not expensive, but there's just so much in it that you know, people can learn from and get value out of. And, and I, as a resident of Hampton Roads for 54 years, I've, I'm invested in the community. I've lived in Hampton. Uh, you know, I've, I've lived in Smithfield, I've lived in Suffolk, lived in Port, I'm all over. The funny thing is about Hampton Roads. If you grew up on the peninsula, you don't go to the south side much. If you grew up on the south side, you don't go to the peninsula much. But I've lived on both. So, oh, I yeah, I, you know, <laughs> I feel like my zip code is uh, either the HRBT or the Monitor Merrimack. I, I spend, I'm, I'm constantly going through those tunnels. But you're right. I mean, especially you ask someone from Virginia Beach to go to the peninsula, and you're, it's like you're asking them to go across the country. At, uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Well, you know, technically, it is across. A bridge. Well, speaking of that, <laughs> growing up, when I grew up in Hampton, I didn't know the difference between the downtown and the midtown tunnel. It wasn't until I moved, you know, that, that I really understood that. Just because you don't go through it often enough. So some people are afraid of tunnels. And you know, maybe that's the reason why. 
You know, I'm sure there's a phobia for it. Uh, I don't know. I just, I think we should start this thing on this show called the filler tracker, you know? Um, so just tally up every single time, either Tim, myself, or our guest use filler words. I'd be at 77 right now and it's ridiculous. But I try to be super cognizant of it. It is hard. Especially one of the things that I do with people that are practicing their pitch, it's like, hey, do a transcript, do your record your pitch, transcribe it, and then highlight every filler word. And then when you see a, a highlighted paper, this is nothing but filler words that gives you an idea, especially if you are constrained to a three minute pitch, you only can say so many words within three minutes. And if you were using 25% on filler words, you're, you're losing a lot of time on selling. So, so what I hear you saying is that every word has to add value. That is correct, Steve. <laughs> I'm going to use that phrase all the time, guys. <laughs> Nothing like value. Well, that's just it. And if you are adding value, then selling becomes so much easier. And you've, you, if you don't tell someone about the value that you can provide someone, you're doing them a disservice by not telling them, especially when they're suffering from a pain point that you can cure. Well, and it's not just customer value. You got to think of it holistically, right? Your partners, who, who are your partners in bringing your product to life? You know, for the, uh, the sensor faucet that we're creating, Spark product development is a subcontractor to me. Well, you know, I, I need to make it a win-win for them as well. And so that they see value in bring, being part of this. And that, that just happens uh, with everybody on my team as we try to find the value for everyone and make it a win-win-win. Super important. You said the goal isn't to make a lot of money with the book and things like that. What is the goal of the book? You know, again, provide right value. There's a 95% failure rate of new products going to market. And so the goal for me is to make this become the new standard for how to go from idea to selling for products in the, in the world. Right. Um, there's got, when I started my journey with Nasoni, I'll put it to you like this. I, I saw a Roman Nasoni fountain, you know, that was a street fountain and it was an idea. And I took that idea and I bought a faucet at home Depot. Or no, it was Lowe's. And I bought a shutoff valve. I took all that stuff home. I drilled a hole in the top, put the shutoff valve in the spout, hooked a garden hose up, you know, and, and turned it on. And that was my prototype, a proof of concept, if you will. But then I had to take that as an idea. And how do you how do you make that a reality? There was no roadmap to follow. I mean, I'll ask both of you guys: Have you ever seen a a, a great entrepreneur book that says, "Here's how you go from idea and it, and it takes you step by step all the way to selling"? A lot, a lot claim, a, a lot of people claim. I, I think that having the actual, the map and the path and doing so is really, uh, it's super important. So, but that's what that, I couldn't find. Right. That's, what right, I right, right. Find. So that's why I wrote the book is to help entrepreneurs. I'll give you another example. So in that journey, right. And I, and I had to come up with, okay, what do I take, do after I make this prototype or proof of concept rather? And I said, I need to help find somebody that can help me come up with a design. And so I thought about going to my shipyard friends that I used to work with. And I thought, nah, they don't have the software at home to do CAD modeling and fluid dynamics. I thought about them going to ODU as a student project, but I couldn't get any response. 
So then I turned to freelancers and, and this was back when Elance before Elance and Odesk merged and became Upwork. So I turned to Elance and I found a guy in Thailand that had what I needed, fluid dynamics and cab modeling. He was actually an American living in Thailand. And we came up with a, a concept design and, and it was really, really cool. And you know, what's your first thought when you have a cool idea and you actually design it? What do you think your next thought is? How to do it. Ryan, Tim? How to do it? That's one. Right. What's your thought, Tim? No. Um, well, what is what? Yeah, what's my what's my next? For me, I'm different. I, what's what's my next step? How do I execute this? Um, so, so a lot of people think I got to protect it. I got to get a patent, right? So nobody steals my idea. That was my next thought, right? So because mm -hmm. now I've got this cool design, and it's I love how it looks and all this stuff. I got to go protect it. And so I asked a local attorney, you know, who does patent work, and he recommended someone they wanted $7,500 or something like that to do the patent. I'm like, man, I don't have that kind of money right now. Cause I don't even know if my idea is doable, you know, if it's legit. So then I thought, how can I do this cheaper? So I went back to the freelance market. I found um, a patent attorney in India that worked with the U S patent office and I paid him one fifth of the cost and we submitted design and utility patents um, then. And the problem with that though, is, and that's what I teach in the book that's not the right time because you have not flushed out your idea with your customers. You've not refined it through manufacturing and doing design for manufacture and things like that. So what we teach you in the book is when is the right time to consider mm -hmm. patenting? We also teach you that maybe you don't want to patent. Maybe you should make it a trade secret. So there's lots of things to think about in this process, but the point is you can save tens of thousands of dollars following the process in the book rather than guessing at what the steps you should be following are. Yeah. I mean, that's a great point. I guess I've been around the block enough to know that I, that that's flesh this out a little bit further. Let's validate this idea a little bit before you start spending money on protecting mm -hmm. that idea. But yeah, you're right. It's a common mistake though. Everybody thinks I got to protect somebody's going to steal it. And of course the other one is we met with a guy. I went to Nottingham Spurk in Cleveland last week and he has an idea for a, what's called a safety, he called a safety clip. It's a nail clipper. It's a new concept on how to do that. And he's got a prototype made from China and he's showing it around. And I'm like, have you filed for a, a provisional patent yet? And he said, no. I said, man, you, you can't be exposing this to people, you know, without having some protection. You need to go ahead and file a provisional patent. And of course he's like, you know, I was a Marine and then I was a mailman. He goes, I'm not a, I'm not a whiz bang guy to do that kind of stuff. Yeah, you got to find an attorney. And so while we sat there, I asked him what was different about it. And he fired off about five different things. And I had, took on my phone. I pulled up Chad GPT and I said, Chad, OK, Chad GPT, take these five concepts and write them as patent claims. And it did. And he goes and I read it to him back to him. And he goes, man, I love that. Can you send that to me? <laughs> I said, this is just what you can take now to a patent attorney as a head start on drafting your provisional patent. There you go. Steve, what's something we haven't talked about that you want to talk about? Uh, the biggest thing is, you know, the, the, the summit that's coming up that we've talked about, the actual URL for that is 2024.ideatoproductsummit.com. So I want to make sure everybody knows that. And I know you're going to share that. But again, the goal of the summit is to help people overcome that 95% failure rate, bringing products to market. And the speakers we have, are the best in the business. I have, if you're interested in crowdfunding, 
uh, rain factory is a big company that helps um, startups take their idea on crowdfunding platforms like Indiegogo and Kickstarter. And I have the CEO from rain factory going to be presenting. I also have the CEO Roy Morjan from Inventus partners who has helped raise over a billion dollars through projects like Kickstarter and Indiegogo and so on. And he's going to be presenting as well. I mean, these are like the best in the business in the country that are coming to speak at this summit. And I really want everyone to have the opportunity to attend. And that's why it's free. So, you know, it's just, it's a not miss event. And uh, to me, it's going to be the biggest event coming from Hampton Roads for all for entrepreneurs that, that's ever happened. I want to, uh, I want to touch base real quick. I, I, I never knew this story until you, we had you uh, speak at Start Peninsula uh, this past November. It was our championship pitch. We like to showcase what people have done. And, and the big thing is you don't necessarily need to be the winner of Start Peninsula to be a winner at the game of entrepreneurship. And so you, you gave the, the keynote address. Great stuff. I really, But one of the things that I took away from, you showed like, when you're on Steve Harvey and you, you won a couple other pitch competitions, but it was, was it the, the pitch tell uh, that was the show where the, where you take the elevator. That's the elevator, elevator pitch. Yeah. <laughs> and, and like, I, I'm just curious for those that didn't watch you, you took a tour that don't, you took a totally different approach to this and you used your time to do everything, but, show the product <laughs> you want me to and cover that, that? and and uh so yeah yeah i would yeah, like <laughs> does that so, go down as one of the biggest l's that that you that you took do you wish you had that time back actually no and let me explain why so i won fifty thousand dollars on thunderdome with steve harvey um that fall prior okay and we use that to make our, our mvp product and then I went to the Kitchen and Bath Show in Orlando, the largest show for bath products uh, in the country that January. And we won the Best of K-Biz People's Choice Award. And this is the MVP faucet that we made, right? And you, you turn the lever and it becomes a water fountain. So you can see the, this is the Nasoni Fountain Faucet. And so the next thing was another startup competition was called, as you mentioned, Entrepreneur Elevator Pitch. That was in February at CBS Television Studios in Hollywood. And, uh, and I flew out there. And actually, we got on an elevator. The, the idea was you get on an elevator and you when you give your pitch in 60 seconds. And there are four judges at the top. If they like your pitch, they open the door and you get to finish it. If they don't like it, they give you a thumbs down. And so knowing this is a reality show, I'm thinking to myself, I want to make this intriguing. How can I make it exciting and fun? So I fly out to California. I've got my faucets with me. And I went to a local store and I bought a three-rack shelf that was on wheels, put my faucets on it. They're on stands. And I covered that up with a black cloth. And then I had one faucet like this in a bag, a black bag, and you couldn't see it. And so the idea was I got on the elevator and my pitch was we reinvented the bathroom faucet. Literally. It's awesome. It's so awesome. In fact, we won the best, the, the kitchen and bath industry show uh, at the at the show last month, best peak choice award. And, and it's patented. And so we're at the goal line. And with your help, we'll get across the finish line. And so, you know, I stood there proudly waiting to be uh, to open the door and go in and finish giving the rest of my pitch. Well, next thing you know, 
elevator's going back down. <laughs> I'm thinking, are you kidding me? And so the show airs two weeks later on YouTube and you can actually look it up. You can do a search for entrepreneur elevator pitch and Steve Waddell and you'll find it. But uh, when the show airs, I see what happened was the judges, there are two women and two men. One of the ladies looks at the other one and goes, oh, that's mean. I really want to know what it is. And the other girl goes, well, who yeah, was that? That was, but that was, was that Carrie Walsh, the volleyball player? No, I don't, I don't recall their names. Yeah. Um, I, I think one was Carrie. I don't know. It, it was, might've been, but she looks at the other girl. She goes, that's mean that, you know, I really want to know what it is. No, it goes, yeah, this world always leaves you wanting more. And one of the guys speaks out and he goes, well, yeah, he didn't tell us how much he wanted, you know, didn't show us the product. So I say thumbs down. The other girl, oh, okay, thumbs down. So I got sent home and I'm flying home though. And I'm thinking, I asked God, I say, you know, God, why did you put this in my path? Because I had to fly out on my own nickel, buy the airplane tickets, unlike Thunderdome. They paid my way out and paid my hotel. But I had to fly out there on my own, buy the rental car, pay for the hotel, all those things. And that's startup money's precious, as you know. You does not there's a lot around. And so I'm thinking, why did you put this in my path? Well, I should have had faith, right? Because when one door closes, another one opens. Because what happened was two weeks later when it aired, uh, there's a lady that I know from the Richmond SBA who knew me from my wife's company, saw it, and uh, she reached out to a friend of hers named Ben, and they actually rode the school bus together 50 years ago. And I get this call from Ben the week after that, and Ben says, hey, Steve, tell me about your product. I heard it from the so-and-so, and so I tell him about it, and he goes, would you like to meet an investor, a friend of mine that I work with in Minnesota? And I said, absolutely. So we had a call with the investor and the investors like what they heard. And they said, if we're going to go any further, we think you need to come to Minnesota. So that August, my wife and I booked a flight to the uh, JW Marriott, which is attached to the Mall of America, which is just the coolest place. Now, I picked the Mall of America so I could pitch the general manager on the faucets. We <laughs> were trying to sell the faucets, right? And so anyway, we had the meeting with the investor and, and it went fantastic. And uh, you know, you feel like you're on Shark Tank, right? Because you're you're giving your pitch and you're talking about what you're going to do. And this investor had a whole team. He had a marketing team, a lady that had worked for Best Buy doing marketing, worked for him now. And Ben, if you remember Finger Hut, uh, Ben helped grow Finger Hut to a billion dollar company and he worked for them. And so they had this whole team. Anyway, we gave her a pitch and uh, we met, came back the next day and we met. The investor actually took us out that night. He and his wife, they're both the investors took us, my wife and I, to tour the town. And we walked the town. We got some ice cream and all that. And that's kind of a get-to-know-you kind of thing to see if there's a fit, right? So the next day, they made an offer. And they countered what we had proposed their investment was. And so our investment, we had asked, I had asked for $600,000 for 25% of the company. Now, if you know you haven't gone to market and sold yet, and you watch Shark Tank, that's a good, that's a good deal for, for me, right, to take this company. They offered five hundred. dollars I countered back with, we need it really need to be 600. We, our numbers are solid and, uh, and they agreed. So I left out of there ecstatic. Right. But that never would have happened. Cause I never would have had that opportunity if I hadn't got out and gotten the exposure of being on the show where I failed. So, you know, what I do, what I do it over again. Yes, absolutely. Because the other thing is I've heard from people that have been on that show the four people that invest all have to agree. And there was all kinds of issues with mm. that. And, and so it worked out the way it should have. <laughs> Interesting yeah. stuff. It was, it was a cool story. That, that was something that stood out. Appreciate Thanks. it.
elaborate and, even further on that. Yeah, that, that's been the most fun part of this whole Sony journey is getting in these competitions, all the people you meet, you know, the, the joy of winning, the, the crushing sometimes defeat of failure, right? But you learn from all of that and you, you try to get better each time. It's all we can do. Yeah. <laughs> Steve, appreciate your time. This has been wonderful. You guys, yeah. Pleasure. All mine. I'm honored to to be back on here, and thank you again for having me here. And I look uh, forward to the to the summit. Look forward yeah, to the we'll, book. We'll be in touch uh, on setting up the uh, the opening ceremony with you and uh, getting the governor's letter. Governor Glenn Youngkin's writing a welcome letter, so I'm excited to have that shared as well. Well, thanks so much, Steve. All right, thanks guys. Thank you. It was great. Yeah, we'll see you on the other side. <laughs>